and welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined by my co hosts, Blake Murphy, Alex Wong, for segment one as we look back at uh, just a comeback. Um, not not the issues that, that sort of preceded the comeback. All right, it's good vibes only after wins. And uh, the Raptors completed a 23 point comeback. Um, taking the win last night by a score of 111 to 107. Their first lead of the game was 7-6 to six in the first quarter. And uh, then they came all the way back and took the lead. Pascal Siakam with a short second box jumper to uh, give them the go-ahead. Blake, how you doing, man? Second box jumper. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can just call it a mid-range jumper. Wow. David Thorpe's not on the show today. Second he box? What's, yeah. up? What's up, David? Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. It was... Um, Look, it, you, you can go back and forth on with the Washington Wizards, this particular Washington Wizards team, if you're more upset about the hole they dug or, or more encouraged by the comeback they had. But if you can go 21 on a 21-1 run against any team that has the chance to pull out a game that has some offensive pieces, um, even if their coach is kind of helping you out by keeping their only rim protector on the bench and being like, oh, Bilal Koulibaly, he, he could be, you know, a secondary ball handler in the clutch and things like that. Uh, they did you a, a lot of favors and you shouldn't have been in that hole, but you still came back. It, it really, there was that stretch in the third quarter too, where it took like two possessions of actually trying on defense to get the lead back down to 10. And then they almost gave it all right back before Pascal came back in and settled things down. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it's fun if you can kind of sift through the, how they got there in the first place. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Will, you look really cuddly today um, in your purple. I don't know what to call that. But, yeah, I appreciate you guys. Every time the Raptors win, I see a lot of notes in here. Mm. Uh, where was this when the Raptors <laughs> got blown out on the weekend? Huh? You guys left me hanging. I had to look up 20 years worth of Caucasian players on the Celtics roster. Meanwhile, today, uh-huh. like, we're going to get into this. Yeah, what's up? To be clear, I have lengthy game notes for every game that yeah. I can forward to you so if you I want. Actually, please, please, I just please didn't, don't. I just no, didn't hijack my... our three-person <laughs> doc with all my own notes today like uh, like Will. Like uh, Asian Action Bronson over here. So we're going to get into this comeback. The Wizards scored one point in the final seven minutes mm-hmm. and 24 seconds. Like you mentioned, the Raptors closed on that 22-1 to one run. Yeah, 0 for, 0 for 10 with five turnovers in that seven and a half minute stretch, including turnovers on three of the last four possessions. It was uh, it's nice work coming was- off of our Wizards draft yesterday. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I have the final score. Okay, yes, because I saw somebody online, I think they bet like the over total on the Wizards. Uh-huh. Like, oh, I total. saw that retweet. Yeah, and I think they had them uh, like at over 104.5 or something, or something like 107. No, it was right on the edge. I think yeah. he said he had what, like 108.5 yeah, or something yeah. like and that. And then he was like, he was good with seven minutes left, except they scored a single point. They really played Uno. Um, yeah, all these stops in here, I mean, Will, I'll pass it to you, but these, <laughs> these read like Action Bronson lyrics. Can uh, I read a few here? Yeah, go ahead, man. Go yeah, ahead. Here yeah. we go. Dennis slips and falls hard. Wizards break. Landry Shammer with a Puja with 20 on the clock. Brick. Boucher rebound. That yeah. sounds like Bronson. T- 20 on the clock brick definitely <laughs> sounds like a Bronson lyric. Yeah. yeah why is Landry Shammer going from who he played for to taking a pull-up transition, pull-up jumper in transition with 20 left on the clock for a brick? You really, you can't say enough about the job Wes Unsell Jr. did. Oh, Making yeah. sure that they 
appropriately tank that one. The Wizards are in a spot like the Raptors where they only get their pick if it's, I think it's top 10 protected. Oh, it's, uh, it's, so they're, they're good. So any <laughs> game good. like this, they're, they're going to make damn yeah. sure. Well, here's the thing. I, I did see the tanking point many times, and I get it. Like, the Wizards are not built to be competitive this year. They're, they're launching on what's going to be a very long rebuild by the looks of it. But I don't know. Even if you are tanking, like, teams don't tank 10 games into the season. Player, also, they just straight players, up sucked. Players they made don't tank. Decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that too. Well, uh, Poole and Kuzma, I don't know. By the way, their nickname combined as a combo. I want to walk it by you guys. Puzma. <laughs> oh, I feel God. like that's... Look, here's how I nope. feel about All these right. two together. Right. Please rein this guy in. Uh, and this is... Goodness. I don't like saying this. Okay. What, Puzma? I think Kyle Kuzma <laughs> is too good to be lumped in with Jordan Poole in everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jordan Poole's like that bad... I, uh, I feel like it's like un- that bad friend yeah. that dragged Kuzma into this situation. Like, okay. like Kuzma had 34 last night, like, light work. Bro, I yeah, want Kuzma. Crunch time, no, imagine if we had Kuzma. You don't want Kuzma on this squad? I think he could be an upgrade over several specific players I have in mind. He's only an upgrade if you need to kidnap Sue Young. I just, I think, I think Kuzma is a level above Poo. I I don't want to drag him down all All the way. Yeah. So no to the Poozma nickname. All right. Uh, Definitely definitely not. Um, But yeah, so this comeback, listen, you got three pages of notes here. Pick and choose, uh, please. Like, curate a little bit. Uh, What were kind of moments that stood out to you? Obviously, I know Chris Boucher, we're going to talk about, got the post-game chain. We're going to dive into the anatomy of the post-game chain as well. But, like, what were moments or players that stood out to you watching that comeback? Yeah, I mean, what stood out to me is the the five guys who closed this game out, um, those being Malachi Flynn, Dennis Schroeder, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, and Chris Boucher, they all really showed up in the rewatch of the film. Like, Mm. They all did a really great job of switching onto their assignments. They did a really good job of helping at the basket. Did a great job of rebounding as well. Um, you know, I just wanted to highlight a couple of things. Number one, the Raptors' ball pressure was excellent in the mm-hmm. fourth quarter. Malachi uh, Flynn is really coming to his own with that. Yep. Malachi pressing full court. Scotty <laughs> pressing full court. Dennis typically is the guy who does it. Obviously, he did that quite a bit. Mm. We'll hear Dennis on the show later today as well. Yeah, 330. Um, TBD. 330 TBD? All right. Well, I guess I guess you can't <laughs> Maybe leave he's us. joining Kipper and Bourne. We'll see. Hey. <laughs> Athletes are TBD always. You yeah, know you how know, it is. You're right. You're right. Um, yeah. But, like, so definitely the ball pressure was really good. I thought, for me, it, to- it was totally deserved for Chris Boucher to get that chain in the sense that he co- shows up in pretty much every note here in terms of his rotations at the rim, his rotations challenging at, at the basket, his – uh, hustle to get down the floor for the layups. I mean, his rebounding as well. Like, he is actually integral to so much of what the Raptors did in the fourth quarter um, in terms of the, the the switching and the defense and, and his shot contest as well. Like, multiple times he's switching on a guards. Did a great job. Yeah, he spent a lot of time on Tyus Jones at the top of the yep. floor and just, like, staying big across the top to... I mean, Tyus isn't going to... He's not really the type to try to break a big mismatch down one-on-one and go to the rim anyway, but staying big to make sure that any screens that were coming had to go the long route around or, yep. or that Tyus didn't have a, as clean a swing pass lane. Yeah, and I think they also played really well as a team. Just in the fourth quarter, just to be clear, the first three quarters, not much as a team. But fourth quarter, any time that the Wizards did get downhill on one of their guys, you know, it would be Chris Boucher helping at the basket. Mm-hmm. Pascal had a huge uh, contest at the basket. Malachi Flynn... With a verticality after Jordan Poole. <laughs> Sorry, I, no, I hesitate on that one. Jordan Poole. I just swear if you're going to say it, man. <laughs> uh, he splits a double team at the top. He's getting downhill. And the only person between him and the rim is Malachi Flynn, who makes a great rotation mm. out of the corner, gets in position, jumps up straight straight up in the air, two hands, yeah. forces 
Jordan to like get around him for the layup and he missed it. He should be named Jordan too. It's ruining the Jordan name. <laughs> yeah, no, he's it's ruining the Jordan brand. He, he's the second. No, you know what? I rock with Jordan. Jordan. I love Jordan Poole, man. No, I, I, uh, well, I love based on how he played in the fourth quarter. But yeah, yeah. seriously, like multiple guys helping each other. Um, Scotty obviously was fantastic as well. His help rotations at the basket. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one play where he tried to post up Kyle Kuzma and um, you know he posted him up. Lost the ball, post him again, throw up a bad hook shot. It was a bad possession. But I love Scotty's compete because right afterwards, he picked up Kuzma full court, pressured him, mm. forced him into a dribble handoff just to get rid of the ball. And then Scotty got uh, screened by Poole, and uh, Scotty ate the moving screen for the turnover. So, like that competitive level, even when you did make a mistake, it was about the next possession. And so that's how you make a comeback like that. I understand it was against the Wizards, but that's exactly what you want to see out of the Raptors, that kind of togetherness in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you don't get, look, it doesn't matter the team. Well, it, it matters a little bit, yeah, the it, team. It does, it but does. like you you sent them to the line for two free throws over the stretch of 16 possessions. That's yeah. all they got. And yeah. they split those two free throws. So for 16 consecutive possessions, your defense was forcing bad shots late in the clock or having them rush in transition or stopping them in transition and turning into half-court baskets. Like you said, Boucher's pressure around the rim is something that we don't normally think of as a as a Raptors thing because even their good defensive centers like Jakob Pertl, it's more of a deterrent than a rim protection. And Boucher saved a couple guys with that, that weak side stuff. Even like stuff like Malachi, you know, Denny beats him. At one point, and he got called for a foul on this, but I like the play anyway yeah. of like, instead of Xing out back, back to the helpers man or, you know, trying to fight back in front of him, just the little like reach poke mm-hmm. yeah, as yeah. a guy gets by you. It was like the old Fred special of like, oh, I'll let you get by and I'm just going to scoop it from right. behind you. Right. Um, even little things like that, that that ends up being a foul on the Raptors. But even if it hadn't, that eats two, three seconds off the clock. They were just like really, really locked in in a way where I think I tweeted in the third quarter where it's like, it's not going to take much defensive effort to take this game back Yeah, yeah. Oh, because yeah. the Wizards aren't going to stop you especially in transition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was impressive. And, like, again, it, all of this is colored by there's no – you had no business getting down 23 of the Wizards sure, anyway, sure. but you don't come back 22-1 to one against any team without doing a lot of things really well. Yeah, and, and to that point, like, so the play you're mentioning where Malika ends up fouling Denny, that was the foul to give in the last two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I – I was watching that playback and I just couldn't stop laughing because I, I literally went back and counted how many dribbles he took. <laughs> Danny Avia took 16 dribbles to try to get at Malachi. Ultimately, Malachi missed that foul on, on the spin and the reach mm-hmm. around. Next play down, they inbound the ball. They give it to Mal- uh, to Denny. They got to switch on to Malachi again. And this time, Denny tries the same move where he takes a whole bunch of dribbles and then spins last second. This time, Malachi plays him really well on the spin, and then Scotty comes over with the help. That created a deflection, and that got the Raptors out in the fast break. That's what actually created an opportunity where Chris Boucher was able to break the other way for the dunk to tie it at 107. So just really good recognition by both Malachi and also his teammates to be able to stop that one play where Danny dribbles the life out of the ball. Like, <laughs> no, there's a dent at the Scotiabank Arena I've seen floor today. 16 dribbles to get at Malachi, <laughs> fix man. that for the in-season tournament This on is an arena that has seen some guys dribble 16 times <laughs> before taking a shot. Um, oh, tweet, man. tweet. I'm like, it's Malachi. Just go to the hoop. You're 6'9". Yeah. Uh, Raptors, yeah. so like you guys mentioned, coming back from that 23-point deficit, already came back earlier this season, 22-point down mm. um, to beat the Spurs. And, you know, Darko was asked after the game about, you know, the message to his team at the half because they were down, like, what, 19 at the half, I want to mm-hmm. say? Um, and he said, quote, I don't he, – he told the team, quote, I don't expect you to go out there and win the game, but I expect you to go out and play with joy and compete at a much 
higher level. And then he also said the comeback says a lot about the team's character, but also we have to talk about character in the first half too. Mm. So, I mean, as much as we want to celebrate the comeback, do you guys want to touch a little bit on just like what you didn't see in the first half from this team? I mean, mostly I just like Darko pointing that out, right? Like we do mm. have a tendency to come here on first segment, just look at the comeback mm. because it's the most fun and, and it changed the outcome of the game. But I like Darko keeping that as a part of his message of like, yeah, you know, it, it's just really, really well said that character counts in the first half of a game as well. And as much as they now have two of these comebacks in a, 10 games in the season, um, they've also gotten down by 20 plus to two pretty bad teams already. Um, so maybe there's something to the way they're starting games. Maybe it's something to the way they're, you know, preparing with the the first run. I, I found the bench to be better in the second halves than first halves. Yeah, I don't really sure. know why that is uh, the case. So, um, yeah. Precious was so bad in the first half, but actually quite good in the fourth quarter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the first part of, of what you read there, Alex, the like, hey, play with joy, compete. You know, I think it can be hard to deliver a message to a room when you're playing that poorly. And mm -hmm. like, you know, NBA players, I think sometimes lose that element of, well, this is fun and winning is fun and going out and going on a run. Um, so, you know, you I don't know how a message like that is received, but Darko said today at practice as well when asked about Malachi Flynn that that's been part of what he's trying to do with Malachi and part of the message there too is to get the fun back. We heard Pascal last year when he, last year or the year before when he was really struggling about not finding, not being able to find the joy in his play. Um, so, you know, I think that's a, it's a good message to to lean on. You probably only get to lean on that message a couple of times before right. guys are like, "Yo, <laughs> getting down twenty yeah, is not fun." Um, but yeah, I don't know. I thought I thought Darko handled it handled it well, and his post game comments and the comments today were pretty uh, pretty on point. It's the uh, it's we're the Joy Luck Club, man. We went we went from fun guy to fun guys. Yeah, this is the rebrand. Wow. Can we put fun guys on the practice? No, I can't talk about that. Um, okay. Um, yeah, Will, what you think, man? First half. What do you mean? What I thought of the first half? It was it was terrible. Like, um, yeah. I I mean, look, we'll, we'll ask Dennis about this, but I, I thought he really struggled. This is by far his worst game as a Raptor. I thought yeah. he was picking the wrong moments to sort of attack. Yeah, get at him. I don't don't I, get bought by the players. I, I, I thought Yak struggled. Their names with his, are. <laughs> he really struggled with the, with the rim protection. It felt like everyone was walking through him for layups. Yeah. Uh, Precious in the first half. I mean, just... Who are your anti-three stars in the first half? Probably those three. Okay. Dennis, okay. Uh, Jakob, and, uh, and Precious. Yeah, Precious. okay. Um, okay. Precious dropping the lob. Precious dropping a, a shovel pass where Pascal like literally like put the thing in his hands like a <laughs> like a football player like a like a like a loaf of bread like a handoff like, yeah, yeah they were this. literally like yo here you go buddy and he take dropped this it. and both times I went on for layups even at the mm. end of the first uh, half where Raptors get a terrible shot going one way and the other way they foul a three point shooter mm -hmm. and there was that was just like a huge swing at the end there too like they just weren't playing well together they didn't have the energy together and I thought it was really strange to see Scotty so like. It's like uninterested in the game. There's a lot of times where it didn't feel like he was even running with any yeah, sort of you, vigor. You, you noted this. You pointed this out to me when we were there. Um, you know, there was a halftime performance during the 15-minute break. Hey, man, that was a great halftime performance. They had this man get up there and, and balance on some steel <laughs> You're not really selling it if it was so great. I was pretty <laughs> This great. man said he stood on steel. Here's the thing. I'd it, rather watch Denny Avdia dribble 16 times. Uh, I think the man's name was George. Uh, okay, shout to George. But he had, like, this halftime act and you, i was like not compared to the actual play on the court mm. this is actually the best thing i've seen today so <laughs> you're not you're not selling it um right, so anyway he performs the lights come on players haven't come out to warm up and i think you noticed scotty was just like sitting on the bench so 
Uh, yeah, halftime is 15 minutes. The guy yeah. does his act. It's like six minutes of him like being upside down or whatever. Uh, and then he dips. <laughs> what? That's the act. The guy's upside okay. down. Okay, or whatever. Uh, and then Scotty's the first guy to come out of the tunnel for the Raptors. And um, he just like, instead of going to like take the warm-up shots or whatever, he just like sat on the bench. Um, and I was like, okay, maybe he's just like waiting a little bit, you know. And the rest of his teammates start flowing back out. They're all just like getting to the court, getting some shots up. Mm. Again, very standard kind of stuff. He was just sitting there by himself. Eventually, Marquise Noel went over to sort of sit with him and put a hand around his shoulder. And then Jama. Jama went well. over. Hmm. And ultimately, it was like eight minutes had gone by. Um, he, he didn't even take a shot, and he was just like getting ready to go into the game. I, I honestly was I, getting a tweet ready that he wasn't going to start the second half, potentially, yeah, because yeah. he didn't even mm. take his warm-ups off yeah, yeah, exactly. until like right when he hit the court. Yeah. We also saw, I, I don't know if you guys caught it, but pregame, his energy seemed a little low, too. Mm. My mind went to maybe he's feeling a little under the weather or yeah, something yeah, like that. I'm but, not saying it was a problem. I, I just thought it was notable because it was strange. Yeah. It, it's also yeah. like, it's like, it's so interesting to see the level of competitiveness that these guys have. Like what, whatever that was, whether it was illness or, or whatever's going on with Scotty, once they started coming back, oh, it like it, snapped in and yeah. he became, he, you know, he had a much better second half than first half and especially the fourth quarter there. It's just, it's, it's yeah. funny how that can, you know, at that level of player, it can shake you out of it pretty quick. Right. That was all. Yeah, it was strange. Yeah, I yeah, no. played great in the I, fourth quarter. Yeah, I thought it was uh, worth flagging. You know, after the game, too, um, you know, there were some mentions um, in, in the post-game media scrums, references to the Raptors' 30-point comeback against the, the Dallas Mavericks. That was the Cal Lowry, Malcolm Miller-led comeback. Uh, how, how name, did this... name the other uh, the other three players. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson? Yep. Pat McCaw? No. Oh, my God. Yeah, I need help. Boucher? Yep. Boucher was there. That, oh, yeah. Boucher was asked about this. That's yeah. why. I can't name the fifth. The, the player was undrafted. Uh, that doesn't help. Yeah. Uh, he was <laughs> supposed to be Fred's first, like, project. Fred's first project? Just tell me. Terrence, uh, Terrence Davis. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great and then player. it was Malik after that. Great player to remember. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. So, anyway. did this one hit? Did this one hit? Like, you know, the same as uh, some of these other classics? I mean, it's the Wizards. It's the Wizards, but that Dallas Mavericks comeback, that they didn't have Luka for that game. Right. So what? They had Poole? So no, they had uh, Brunson. No, but you're saying... They had Seth Curry. Yeah, but the Wizards had Poole. Uh, who do they have? Because point, point differential-wise, not, not that far off. 23-point comeback. Yeah. Pretty impressive. I, I mean, I think it didn't hit the same only because, like, um, we love Kyle so much unconditionally, and it was such, like, a stamp of, like, especially after he won the championship of, like, yeah. him doing this even by himself yeah. with, like, all these other guys. It was, like... It, that was it, his regular season classic. The it, finals was, like, his postseason yeah, classic. It, it touched on, like, yeah. the Lowry plus bench lineup, yeah. which was always a huge thing. It's, literally, Lowry and the third stringers came back on him like that. Yeah. Plus was 30, which is, like, just objectively... And Kyle historic. gave credit to everybody but himself after the mm -hmm. game. yeah, yeah. This is like post-Black Album Jay-Z vibes. Yeah. Um, that was a game that Kyle Lowry had almost 0.5 win probability added on his own. Wow. That's, that's now. Insane. That's not as sharp a stat as for basketball as it is for baseball and football. Yeah. But yeah, the, the site Inpredictable, which does the win probability graphs and stuff like that, had Kyle credited with almost half a win just on his own mm. from that comeback. Yeah, but similar, you know. And yeah, I think Chris, really good Boucher game in that one too. Exactly. Chris is huge for Boucher had been part of two classics. Yeah. He just blazed, man. Um. What? Speaking of Boucher, wow. he received the uh, chain, the post-game chain. First of all, it was a little, not controversy, but did you think the right player got the chain? Because some people wanted Pascal to get the chain. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just trying I, to I, I, William, 
yeah, sorry. Uh, yes, my boy Chris absolutely deserved it. <laughs> Chris, I'm, Chris, I'm calling you out, man. I need a pod. It's 10 games into the season. Yeah. Um, I need a pod, bro. Please. No, I think for Chris, like, especially watching back on the film, he was a part of so many defensive sequences in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And I think Darko's idea is like, look, I, you could give the chain to Pascal and Scotty like the whole season if you really wanted to. Maybe yeah. OG gets it one, once, once or twice here or there. But what's the fun in that? You know, like, let's give everybody a turn yeah. with the chain. Are and you guys Chris tracking amazing... this chain thing? Because it seems like yeah. they're showing us every time. We should track it. Well, first game, they didn't have the chain for anybody because they beat the Timberwolves, but no one got the chain. It was just Darko yeah. got the game ball. Yeah. Uh, the, when they beat the Bucks, uh, Pascal got the chain. Even though I thought Scotty actually probably out, slightly outplayed Pascal, yeah. but Pascal got the chain. Uh, when they beat the Spurs, obviously Scotty got the chain. No one else deserved it. Mm-hmm. Nothing than Scotty in that one. Uh, in the Dallas game, Pascal had a really good one. It scored over 30, but they gave it to OG, partially because his defense on Luka. Also, he, was, he had like seven threes made. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, this one, they gave it to, to Chris. So we, we, we had four different guys get it. Yeah, I think the idea with this is it's part three stars and part Gerald Henderson award. Okay, where yeah, you right, want to give it right. to the guy who you know, outperformed their role or their their mm. normal baseline, I think. Right. Like you said, well, you could give it to Pascal or Scotty every single time. One of those guys is going to have 20-plus every night. So much is going to run through them. But, yeah, I think the idea with this is probably someone, like, yeah, compare it to your baseline, right? Right. It's like when I did the Raptor killer thing, and it was like, okay, right. it's not like, mm. like LeBron would obviously be the biggest Raptor killer, yes, but yes, who yeah. outperforms what we expect the most? I think that's probably going to be more the idea. I like that. Um, so quick question for you guys. Uh, these three players, yes or no, do you think they'll get the chain before the end of uh, this calendar year? Uh, okay. Otto Porter Jr.? Yes, actually yeah. really. Yeah. He'll get hot from three one game in addition yeah. to the other stuff he does. Okay. Uh, woof, woof. What? Uh, Jayla McDaniels? No. I think he might be done in the rotation for a little bit here. Once OG, he came back. in for five minutes yesterday and just did like very little. I yeah, thought. he hasn't really flashed anything. And like, yeah. like Otto Porter is in the rotation now, except for back to backs. And once yeah. OG and Gary are back, I just I don't know where McDaniel's. They they gave him a shot, and to me, he's the odd man out in that mix. Right I feel now. bad because I think that he probably could contribute, but I mean, also yeah. at the same time, he just hasn't yet. So yeah, I mean, and it's merit based, right? Like you got yeah. an opportunity, yeah. mm-hmm. it didn't go that well. Yeah. Now you got to wait until someone else goes down and you get another shot. Yeah, uh, Garrett Temple. No. Chain? If did they give him a 905 chain? Ooh. He might get like a coaching no. chain. Oh. No. I like that. I like That's that. Tough. Garrett Temple doesn't play. Yeah, he's not gonna get the chain though. Maybe he'll he'll get a chain for like, you know, the leadership from the bench. Yeah. You know, Darko is gonna be innovative about this. I think he's trying to get everybody the chain once. Uh, he's gonna have to be a little creative at, yeah. at certain times. I think Malachi should get his own little chain. Ooh, just every yeah, game. a mini chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah I kind of like that. But actually. nobody tells Malachi that he's getting a separate chain. Darko's just pulls him to the side, and he's like, here you yeah. go, buddy. Uh, turn your mic off, Will. I got to talk to Blake about wrestling. So Boucher uh, mentioned after the game about getting the chain that he had his little John Cena moment. What is a John Cena moment? All I right. I think I know John Cena. So turn on. your mic off. Right, sorry. Go All study right. hoop. So obviously people know John Cena as like the current version of John Cena and when he made it to the top and was WWE's top guy for a long time. Now he's an actor and all that other stuff. Um, and that character kind of becomes this like cheesy, all American. I'm the, yeah, you, he still does the, you can't see me, but all the finishing moves that used to have swear words in them are now like PG. Mm. Um, yeah. But he has a submission that was called the STFU. And then it became the STF. His finisher was the FU, and then it became the attitude adjustment instead. No he, way. He, he it's makes called it all... the attitude adjustment. Yeah. Uh, so you make... That's, but... my, that's my annual review. Back when John Cena 
came up initially. Actually, he came up initially, and he was like the prototype, which is like like he was designed and allowed to be a wrestler. Yeah. But they quickly ditched that, and he was a white rapper. He would come uh, out and like yes. and rap and, and to talk down to all his opponents. Yeah. And he always wore like a full chain with a big padlock he'd, he'd on the a end. Spinning chain or something. Right? Uh, like a, that spinner was later. The spinner, the spinner okay. was later, and then he turned okay. the belt into a spinner, which okay, was that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Big, yeah. Um, also, yeah. big heel move to the traditionalists. You yeah, don't yeah, want to. Uh, anyway, so Bob for a long time, he wore mad. this big chain with a padlock on the end and when he was a bad guy he would use it to cheat to win he would like when oh. the ref's back was turned he'd wrap the chain around his hand and chris boucher oh. for anyone who doesn't know is a big wrestling fan yeah, he's like yeah, yeah. sharing the old the rock and stone cold clips on instagram and stuff yep. uh chris boucher knows ball when it comes to wrestling yeah shouts to um yeah shouts to chris once again i'm calling you out man chris i need a pod why don't you just ask him to come on the show instead of asking him for a separate content? We already booked that's, him once. That's, we can book him. Yeah, that's work. Tell, tell him we're just we're just gonna have him on to talk wrestling. He'll be here Actually, in no time. That'd be kind of sick. Yeah. yeah, that is cool. Yeah. Will can sit out. No, um, but I wasn't. I grew up in the same era. That's the thing. Me and Chris are like roughly the same age. Yeah. So we probably watched name the same era. Th- name Smackdown three things you and Chris have in common. Uh, we're both Canadian. Yep. We both like basketball a lot. Yeah. And uh, we both probably watched. You know. Uh, Smackdown and Raw. <laughs> you watch Smackdown and Raw? No wrestling fan says that. On, first of all. <laughs> on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360, hey, Monday kids, and Friday. Y'all watching Smackdown? Well, okay. Yo, right. come Monday on. Monday Night man. Raw, Thursday Night Smackdown. Come here's on, another Bron- Here's another Bronson lyric. Pascal attacks Kuzma one on one, layups and one. Precious, pick, Precious picks up Sham at full court. Pascal Scotty navigate DHO. Yo, these are sick, man. Yeah, I really did play-by-play for the, every single stop on the way back. Kyle gets, Kuzma gets a stop on Pascal for cup, but rushes it and smokes the layup. <laughs> There's different depths. There's things that <laughs> add character to it. Uh, anyways, anything else about the game? Four of 21 from three from yeah. the Raptors. Yeah, I, mean, I have a couple quick stat notes yeah, on this one. I, I know that. we're going to get to Danny Chow momentarily. Yeah. but uh, uh, So first of all, that's twice this year the Raptors have only hit four threes. The other 29 teams in the league have combined to do that no. once. No. The Lakers have done it oh, once. The Raptors no. have done it twice. No. Um, over the last two seasons, so last year and the first part of this year, uh, that win takes teams who only hit four threes to seven and 24. Hard. So you got a... It's hard to win, for sure. You got less than a one in four chance. Um, I, think, I think this makes the comeback even more impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They came back two at a time. Bro, we yeah. straight... We, we literally did ones and twos, man. We no. were on the ones and twos. <laughs> also, we and, had a... Yeah, go ahead. Look. And then I had to go back ten and a half years <laughs> yeah. to find the last time the Toronto Raptors won a game... Hard. ...where they got zero three-pointers from their starting lineup. Hard. Oh, wow. Give me the starting line. Do you have the starting line? Yeah, it was uh, January 9th, 2013. They beat the 76ers 90 to 72. Uh, At that point, both those teams were well below 500. Uh, Will, do you want to guess the starting lineup? Let's go. Okay. Amir Johnson. Yep. Um, DeMar DeRozan. Yep. In this time, 2013, I would say either Kyle or Jose was starting. Jose. Kyle was was off the bench, although Kyle also didn't hit a three. Okay. Uh, who else was on this team? What, I guess was Terrence Ross in the starting lineup at this point? Uh, no, he he was a DNP this game. Uh, he probably should have played if they got zero threes for the starting lineup. James Johnson? Nope. But uh, no. Oh man! Wow, Landry Fields? Yeah, Landry that, Fields. That's a, that's a zero synonymous with threes not yeah. getting hit. Oh, that's man. a zero three point shooter. Uh, the uh, other one was another big next to Amir Johnson. Uh, JV, obviously. No. No. Not JV. Aaron Gray. Ed Davis. Ed Davis. Oh, man. Wow. So the Raptors as a team. You know what? It makes sense that they didn't hit any threes. <laughs> Allen Anderson hit one three off the bench. That was the oh, only man. three the Raptors hit the entire game. Double A? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, the Sixers went two, the Sixers went two for ten from three as well, and somehow wow. only scored seventy two points in the at day. a game. Yo, hoops changed a lot in ten years. Twenty thirteen yeah. is already back in the day. By the way, one last oh. note. Yeah, it was up. Thad Young uh, started at power forward for. Sorry, I thought it was center at first. But Damn. Thad Young started for the Sixers in that game with Delon's brother Darrell Wright and Drew Holiday. Those yeah. are much better three point shooters than that's what we had the, in the group. Uh, that's Alex, a, I know you had a you had a lot of thoughts on. I know we're getting to Danny Chow, but we we, we do have a lot of thoughts. Yesterday on the on the in arena production, so you had a lot of notes. We're on We're actually going to save that for tomorrow, oh, or, or or later this week, because there's a couple more games, home games happening ah, this week. Okay, gotcha, so I'm gotcha. doing some game ops tracking. Mm. I know the most notable one yesterday because Pascal couldn't stop scoring was like you know they do the drop after he scores is the Nelly. It's getting hot in here, and that played about 19 times, <laughs> I guess. And then yeah, I, I'm tracking it. We're gonna do a bigger segment about it uh, when we don't have a busy schedule. My last thing. You know, we did who he played for yesterday. Um, you actually did a real life who he played for with me as we were walking to the Wizards locker yeah, room. That's right. And you're like, who is this guy? Yeah. And it was Anthony Gill. And <laughs> oh. I couldn't get him. <laughs> I told him I'd give him a five dollar. I would give him five dollars uh, if he if he could name. And who I was desperately wanted that five dollars. I think he was within earshot too. So he was probably like, Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, he's like, Come on. This guy's like who he played for in front of me. <laughs> Do it on your show. You're like, oh, the R and B singer. <laughs> it's getting cool. hot in here. Okay, we got Danny Chow coming up, Dan Devine. That's yeah. the Dan 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 Noodles lineup. And then Dennis Schroeder, three thirty, T B D. All right, we're going to take that break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. By co-host Blake Murphy, and we are joined on the line by Danny Chow of The Ringer. What's going on, Danny? Hey, how's it going? What's going on? So I'm recently finding out that uh, you're based in Toronto. I finally got on your Ringer page. I was like, this guy always <laughs> writes about the Raptors, and, and it just turns out you're based out of Toronto. So, yeah, there. I've actually been uh, living here for the past four years. Oh, where did um, you link up? Kind of laying low. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, West Side. Yeah. I recognize the light fixture in the, in the back. You know, um, most uh, <laughs> most homes in Ontario look kind of similar with some couple of yeah, similar yeah. items. So. Yeah, Check out the the yeah. Well, look, you've got the look down, man. You've got the toque with the the beautiful flowing hair coming out of it. Obviously, you were hooked when you came here and wrote that great great piece for the Ringer on you know your your kind of food tour of Toronto that also included some uh, some Raptors moments in it I, I guess now that you're here full-time i know you'd visit a couple times before um has your opinion on anything toronto changed or have you discovered anything uh that you didn't get to on, on that trip for that piece you wrote for the ringer i mean i just love the city like i i think i've discovered that i'm like i was actually meant for the cold weather uh i was la born and raised but you know living in that environment where it's like there's really only two seasons it's either hot or not hot um, getting to kind of experience the full range of like seasons has been the biggest shift for me. And it's honestly a joy. I, I definitely get, you know, people, you know, the snowbirds who want to, who want to get away as quickly as they possibly can when the snow hits. But uh, honestly, I, I experienced the first bit of snowfall in my life on that trip in 2019 and it made me cry. So, you know, I, I love the city. 
That's great, man. Well, welcome, and the city is surely happy to have you. Raptors fans are definitely happy to have you uh, writing about the team a little bit more. You wrote this great piece uh, last week, the push and pull of Scotty and Pascal. Even if people didn't read it, you know the conversation by now, just making these two fit together. What does that look like? What does that look like now and long-term? Um, since you wrote that, Pascal Siakam has had a couple of big nights, uh, including last night kind of single-handedly bringing the Raptors back through the third quarter, and then it was kind of him and Scotty and a few bench pieces there in the fourth. Um, what have you made of Pascal's performance since you wrote that piece and him sort of starting to find his spot in this ecosystem? Yeah, I, at a certain point, I just felt it was like, yeah, this is kind of regression kicking in. I, there was, I, I so I had wrote the, I wrote the piece, um, you know, after the uh, the Spurs, uh, you know, wonderful comeback, and there was just so much doom and gloom after that game, and I kind of wrote that piece with that in mind. You know, Pascal goes and absolutely demolishes the Mavs. You know, they didn't have any rim protection that night, but still, it was such a, a great resurgence of confidence and and ever since then you're kind of seeing pascal kind of getting back to what he's always been good at and i think that's kind of darko kind of getting a a feel for you know how to best utilize this guy it's like you know he obviously had such a great rapport with dennis Ruder and he knows what he can do so those early games you know you're, you're getting such an efficient start from dennis but you quickly kind of realize what kind of ceiling you have when you have Dennis Schroeder just kind of pounding the air out of the ball on these slithery drives and you're having Pascal kind of serve as like a decoy, um, you know, off ball trying to do these catch and shoot threes. Um, so it kind of just feels like a regression because, you know, before that Mavs game, we're looking at like Pascal shooting like 22% on his drives. And in the three games since, what he's back up to about 60% on those shots around the rim. So this is really just Pascal kind of being the player he's always been. Yeah. I always had lots of confidence in Pascal being able to like recover after a slow start. I did feel a lot like he was trying to adjust to the system and um, it felt like he was overthinking at times in terms of when to go, when not to go, uh, what shots he was supposed to take, what he was supposed to take. I think honestly, like even Masai's, you know, not explicitly saying the words Pascal is selfish, but essentially linking those two ideas on media day, I think that kind of does make you feel a bit of a way of like, okay, now I got to double think of like, if I take the shot, does that mean I'm selfish now? You know? And so um, after that bit of a slow start and, and look, listen, like when the Raptors offense as a whole gets off to a slow start, then he has to really decide like, okay, I just got to take it and be myself and go and trust my instincts. I thought that's what happened yesterday as well um, in the Wizards game was, Third quarter, he's like, look, none of you guys are doing anything, man. We got to do something to at least try to get back into this game. We should not be losing to the Wizards under any circumstances. Um, and he decides to start attacking, decides to start going. And I think that that's what the offense really does need. Now, of course, like, there is a, definitely a, a, a strong degree of wanting to play within the team. But, again, the team scheme is not good right now. Like, the Raptors, I think, are 29th in half-court offense? 30th. 30th. Okay, great. We're, so we're literally dead last. Back, so, back at the bottom. Yeah, so, like, you actually needed to to sort of see more of that action. I guess the question then is just, like, how do Scotty and Pascal play off of each other? Because there are certain times where it's, like, this game, for example, um, Pascal really goes. Scotty kind of fills in around the edges. He ends up with 19 points anyway, which is pretty good. Um, but still, you know, not necessarily, you know, the, the all-star level kind of resurgence we saw him start the season with. In the Dallas game, it was similar. Pascal really operated in the paint. 
Uh, and then Scotty was more of a, you know, secondary player in terms of distributing, making a lot of plays. He found great ways to impact the game, but wasn't scoring all that much. How can they both score a lot at the same time? Because I think that's the idea that most Raptor fans are trying to get at. Right. And I think that's what everyone's kind of waiting for. There's only been really like one game in which both Scotty and Pascal have looked great together offensively. Uh, that was against the Bucks, And what? That was like the biggest anomaly of the season, right? Like Scotty and Pascal shot 64% from three that night. Yeah. Nine for 14. You know, when you're hitting like that, things just naturally open up. But we know that's not who the Raptors actually are. Um, and it's tough because, you know, there have been so many cases in which we're seeing across the league, you know, two wings, star wings who don't necessarily play off of one another. They kind of play, they kind of have like a dueling badges type of type of situation. And it's kind of exacerbated in the Raptors sense because of the lack of spacing around them. So Ideally, you would want both Pascal and Scotty to be able to shoot threes at, you know, above average levels. Currently, they're both below. Um, and it's not really helped by kind of the environment around them. You know, um, Dennis Schroeder uh, had a really hot start. He's kind of plummeted since then. Uh, but he was never really thought of as a threat the same way that Fred was in the past. And, you know, obviously, Yak, right center, uh, that's center that the Raptors have had since Marcus all, uh, but he's going to occupy the space that he occupies. So if you have two guys who are great at driving, great at initiating from the post up, and you're not really giving them the driving lanes or the kind of release valves, I, you know, it's going to be like a my turn, your turn type of situation. Mm. Well, it's interesting you brought that up too, because like that's kind of a similar problem that Boston has. It's just less of a problem because Tatum is at a higher level than Pascal or Scotty, and then Brown is also really, really great as well. Um, but and they I think, can shoot. Well, and they can shoot, which is obviously huge. But also Boston has done a great job, and they have overhauled their entire supporting cast around them to bring pieces that address their weaknesses. So maybe they're not the strongest ball handlers, or maybe they don't do the great job of passing. Now they start two point guards in White and Holiday. Uh, and a know, stretch five instead of an interior center, five. Right, who can also get in the paint and attack mismatches. That's how Boston got to this point where they're so competitive. And whatever, like Pascal and Scotty are not on the same level with Tatum and Brown, but like you got to still help them around them. And I think that's that, that fit is going to be huge. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure exactly what the next steps look like because they traded a first-round pick for Jakob Pertl and gave him a four-year, $80 million contract. So um, how exactly that goes, uh, I, I'm not exactly sure. The other thing they can do, Danny, and, and curious to your your appetite to balance this out is, you know, they want to install all these new offensive principles and, and a lot of high post DHO, a lot of motion, et cetera. But when we've seen Scotty and Pascal really cooking, they're kind of going outside of that and attacking one-on-one. -on -one. Obviously, no team runs the same offense for 48 minutes. But, you know, when you're thinking developmentally, when you're thinking rookie head coach trying to make his imprint, what is your leeway for, or appetite for, the stars kind of going outside of that system to freelance one-on-one -on -one when the team needs it like they did last night? Honestly, you kind of have to, right? Yeah. Like, it's it's not a case where, look, we just said it. The, the Raptors are 30th in half-court offense. They're not generating quality buckets outside of transition. And at a certain point, you kind of have to expect your best talent to bring you home. And I think Pascal's done a really good job you know, in the past three games of, you know, bringing back what 
you know, he brought Beth to the table, um, something that was kind of stymied in the first eight games while, you know, Dark was really trying to figure out what he had in this team. So I, I think it's it's absolutely necessary. And I, I don't really think that is coming at the expense of developing Scotty. I think there are plenty of possessions, plenty of touches to go around. And I think those first, you know, eight games, seeing Scotty shoot, you know, 38% from three, really showing off that confidence. And it's something that I wrote in the piece, which, you know, funny, three games since he, he's hit, what, two of <laughs> however many. It's been terrible. Um, but, you know, that was the kind of vision of what you're hoping out of this kind of, you know, omnipositional star. You know, ideally, Scotty reaches a point where he's hitting, what, like, OG numbers from three, mm-hmm. except with greater shot versatility. And if you think about that, wow, that's, you know, that's a top 20, top 15 player easily, given all the, all the all of the other things he can do. But, you know, how long does it take to stabilize? How how long can you really feel comfortable with him in that kind of offensive role? And then you're wondering, okay, well, does this still align with, you know, uh, Pascal, who's going to turn 30, is 30? You know, there's an eight-year gap there. Something has to give in terms of where the the team goes next. Yeah. Um, and I think this is why, you know, I, like I totally understand why everyone asks this question all the time, regardless of whether they win or lose. It's like, okay, do they fit? Do they fit? Do they fit? Um, but I want to ask you, Blake, actually, because it's like, it's kind of the assumption that the Raptors can only keep one or OG or Pascal going into next season. So financially, like, is there a scenario where this thing looks good and they're able to retain both OG and Pascal this offseason, should they choose to re-sign, by the way? They're unrestricted free agents. Yeah, uh, I mean, cap-wise, you can almost always make it work. And the cap's expected okay. to rise another 10%. And, you know, look, there are more strict penalties and roster-building challenges coming, but those are primarily for the teams that are up around the second tax apron. Like, you're talking okay. about your Clippers not being able to make a James Harden move. Um, those teams not being able to secure certain players on the buyout market. Um you know, the, the trade salaries have to match equally instead of 125%. Um, you can make it work. The bigger question is, are you going to make it work and maybe make some sacrifices in terms of, do you use the full mid-level or do you only have the mini mid-level? Um, you know, you, you have to make some choices like that. Um, and to me, it's more like, can you justify it competitively than can you justify it CBA wise? Because, you know, with the cap rising, a new TV deal coming, the way the NBA works, you can always figure the cap stuff out. It just, yeah. it'll get uncomfortable if, you know, we're hearing Michael Scotto report, for example, that, you know, Philly in a certain scenario might throw 40 million at OG. Fred just got 42 million and that was the walkaway point mm-hmm. for the Raptors. Um, there, you know, you can do it. It just gets uncomfortable at a right. certain point. Got you. All right. And OG, for OG's part, he fits either timeline. That's the thing. OG definitely fits totally. both guys. Yeah. By the by the way, uh, so I'm going to pivot here outside of Raptors. Sure. Uh, right before you came on, Danny, Shams Terrania reporting that Zach Levine is, like, fully available. Like, oh, if teams... Ooh. So the entire NBA is in Chicago for the Champions Classic, the, the NCAA right now. It's yeah. one of the... It's, like, the first tentpole mm-hmm. scouting event for, for the draft year. Yeah. Um, so everyone's there. The Raptors will be there. All 30 teams will probably have some sort of presence. Uh, so, yeah, Shams reporting what we all kind of anticipated anyway is that um, Zach Levine could be had because the Chicago Bulls are in a weird 
35 win forever situation. Yeah. Uh, Danny, your initial reaction to that and do any Zach Levine landing spots uh, really interest you? I mean, honestly, last year I was already firing up the trade machine trying to trying to get Zach Levine to, to Toronto, um, but I'm not sure that really makes sense anymore. Um, that's an interesting one. No, I don't really have. I'm like, I'm really bad with the trade machine. Okay. So yeah, I think Blake, this is this is definitely your 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 avenue here. I mean, yeah, Zach Levine's contract. Yeah, I feel like it's huge. It's pretty big, but okay. he's still like pretty good if you yeah. can protect them defensively and um yeah. certainly the warriors will cut or warriors twitter will come circling now and smelling How blood in the water buy him now i don't i don't know you no saw way. moody and kaminga I, I don't know that's like 10 million of salary maybe uh, yeah um i don't know see a chris paul <laughs> oh yeah I, I know sixers fans had kicked it around too but like maxi's ascension obviously makes that yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. a non-starter situation honestly the bigger question for me is like does this lead to a Demar thing as well? The initial right, reporting right. is uh, is no, it doesn't. Um, I don't know, man. The Bulls yeah. have an in season tournament to win. I, I don't know. I don't know what I, I haven't sat. There. Like I said, it just came yeah. up uh, as we came on here, so something to think about for another time. Well, I, look, listen, it's like Zach is getting. I feel like the knock against him is that he's not that healthy, and and certainly he's missed a lot of time in his career various, various points. But like, he's been reasonably healthy as far as you can tell with with All Stars. I mean, seventy seven games played last year, sixty seven the year before. Uh, you know, fifty-eight in the shortened season, I think. Uh, no, sixty in the shortened season. So, like, mm -hmm. that's 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 fine. Um, I think just yeah, the question is like, what are you bringing him in to do? Like, I think Danny's idea of like, okay, maybe in Toronto it makes a little bit more sense because we need scoring so badly. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, you're committing to a lot of salary, and yep. yeah, three I, more years at forty-three, forty-six, <sighs> and then forty-nine million beyond this year. So, uh, you mentioned the the cap complications of. Mm -hmm. You know, if you re-sign OG and Pascal and, who knows, maybe Gary Trent, right. uh, that is uh, even tougher. Although Zach Levine, a more obvious fit for what the Raptors needs, and, and you think you could hide him uh, defensively. Uh, Danny, off, uh, in-season tournament continues tonight. We get Chet versus Wemby tonight, Ooh. which should be a lot of fun. Ooh. You wrote the Ringers primer on the in-season tournament. Uh, what have your initial impressions been? Um, Oof. Yo, my eyes hurt. <laughs> like... That those floors are are not great, um, but you know what? I I I'm I'm in. Like I I was skeptical just for you know to have fun, get some jokes off. But I I believe in competitive regular season games. I've always loved watching regular season games, even with like bad. You know, this goes back to when I was an intern at Grant. I used to like my lane because. They had Zach Lowe because they had Kirk Goldsberry. My lane was watching like Bobcats versus Pacers, <laughs> you know, like, so like, I love these, like, you know, grinded out horrible field goal percentage games where there's basically no winner. Everyone loses. Um, so yeah, like, no, anything that will ramp up the, the, the stakes, the, the sense of competition. Sure. I'm in. Okay, so we kicked around the idea of what if eventually a wrinkle for this is teams can change, not just change the look of their court, but like baseball style, change the dimensions or tweak a rule around the sport. Obviously, nice. they're not, this is very unrealistic, but if you had the opportunity to do that, what are you doing with your court? The the classic example that I think Kirk Goldsberry had was like, you know, back in the grit and grind era of the Grizzlies kind of moving the three-point lines to like 15 feet. 
<laughs> and honestly, like at this point, wouldn't the Raptors do the exact same thing? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Or eliminate it altogether. Oh, the Chicago Bulls are not trading oh, Zach Levine if they do good. that. DeMar's going to be Steph Curry if they move the three-point line <laughs> to 15. Actually, yeah. if, the, if the, the Bulls just move the three-point line in one feet, DeMar would be Steph Curry. <laughs> He's so good at the foot on the line uh, long two. Yeah, so I think that's a good yeah. one, Danny. Um, man, okay, Chet versus Wemby tonight. We, we only have like a minute and a half left in the segment here, so this is not a full question, but Chet versus Wemby tonight. Uh, are you surprised at all that if we were doing a much too early rookie of the year ballot here, that it is as close as it is between those two? No, uh, I mean, Chet is what, 20 months older than Wemby? Like, I think at this point, even though, you know, he's gangly, he's still a bit more attuned to who he is as a as an athlete and skill-wise. And he's just in such a perfect situation in the budding kind of star dome of OKC that I, I think he slotted right in, whereas the Spurs are, you know, they're still trying to figure out what to do with a generational talent. I think it makes absolute sense that it's, it's quite neck and neck right now. Yeah. It's fun that they're coming into the league together at the same time, too, because I guess we mm-hmm. just constantly compare them. But... Danny, I uh, appreciate you, um, and like, let's actually link up in Toronto, you know, because uh, I'm trying to meet all the yeah. Asian uh, media members, especially <laughs> in basketball. So that was Danny Chow of the Ringer. My last note on the just to respond to the instant tournament thing, it's it's a little bit like Halloween. You dress up a little bit differently. You walk around for some like marginal prizes that you can probably get anyway. But if you get really into it and you're, you put in a lot of enthusiasm, that's what you get out of it as well. So Yeah, you just can't do the bare minimum is all. You can't, yeah, we you are can't the bare put minimum. three pieces of paper on you and go as three-hole punch will or whatever. Yeah. Adam Silver just put on a pair of cat ears and said, this is, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is what you get. So anyway, we're going to take another break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports Night Radio Network. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports Night Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Uh, shouts to producer, co-host Alex Wong. Almost walking into the shot on live television. Any chance he gets to show off this Freddie Gillespie practice jersey, uh, he will. But uh, maybe we'll check back in with him. Man, um, I, I really, I really fourth. joked about or half joked about when we got those gold jerseys from the Raptors, getting a Javon Freeman Liberty, uh-huh. and then Alex goes and gets a uh, practice worn Freddie Gillespie. Yeah, unreal. I got actually a good question about that, but we'll check back in with Alex uh, after we check in with Dennis uh, in segment four. But for segment three, we're in the third quarter now, the third quarter stretch. We got Dan Devine of Yahoo Sports. And uh, yeah, first off, welcome back to the show. All right. Appreciate you always for making the time. Um, shout out to the new podcast as well, the No Cap Room. And Divine Intervention. Oh, there's two. Yeah. Uh, I got I to stay in tune with the podcast. Two great podcasts, yeah. two great names. Dan, what's up, man? Uh, not much. I mean, I, I'm I'm hearing a lot of talk about crisp jerseys, and I feel underdressed. I'm sorry for that. I know you guys have leveled up the game, and here I am showing up just, you know, like this. So I apologize for that, but it's my pleasure to rejoin you and uh, happy to talk about the Raptors or whatever else you guys want to chat about today. No, you, it looks like you're in an Eric Kareen jersey. 
uh, a plaid button up. No, this is actually the official jersey of the PWBA or whatever the thing is PBWA. called. PBWA. Yeah, you should yeah. join it being your uh, professional basketball writer. Uh, I've, you know, the times that I write these days is, is, is quite rare. It turns out it's a lot easier to just say things into a microphone rather than uh, typing <laughs> things out and putting a lot of thought into things. But uh, that's what that's what Dan Devine has done for a very long time. You know, OG blogger and all that kind of stuff. And, Too and, long. Well, you know, it's been a nice life, I think. Uh, you know, and... Uh, Hope you're good. Uh, anyway, uh, you wrote a piece about um, Victor because, you know, the Spurs and Victor is this big thing. And of course, we'll be watching them tonight, uh, Chet versus uh, Victor tonight. Um, but you wrote a piece, how are the Spurs trying to maximize Victor Wamanyama by supersizing things? And uh, I, first off, I just really enjoyed, you know, what the Spurs are doing right now because it's one of those rare seasons where it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Like, you get to try things out. If they win, they lose. It doesn't really matter. They blow a 22-point lead to the Raptors with Scotty Barnes taking over in the fourth quarter and losing in overtime. doesn't really matter, you know, because uh, they're just trying things out. And obviously the thing that they're trying out the most is this Jeremy Sohan um, running point. I love this idea because he literally didn't have any experience running point. Um, so I want to ask you, A, how is this going? And B, like, where is this going? Well, the funniest thing about it to me is that Sohan is very like so open to being like, I've never done this before, you guys. Like, <laughs> like at any level, I've never played uh-huh. point guard. So yeah, it's gonna look weird. Um, the 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 where it's going, I think the goal is sort of like what if instead of vision six nine, vision seven four, you know, like mm. like what if we we just uh, you know, not just make the whole plane out of wings, but if we try to expand everybody's playmaking roles, because Victor Wembanyama is, if if he's this transformational prospect who can, you know, is bigger than every center and can handle like a wing and maybe eventually do some of the point guard duties himself, like everybody else sort of should get the opportunity to expand their skill set and see what they can do. And as you're absolutely right, this is kind of like a sandbox year, so why not play around? And Sohan, at point, the goal is. If you get a six a six foot eight point guard, suddenly all of those ideas about you know you match up hunt right, you bum hunt, you go find the smallest guy on the court to bully defensively. Well, you're not going to be able to do that if everybody is larger, as we've seen in Toronto, as a the 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 sound the sounding board or the foundation of a really solid defense. And the Spurs have been a bad defense for several years. It's kind of the quickest way to turn your team into a serious one. Look no further than Houston, where you know Ime Udoka and old friend Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks have that team looking like an actual serious basketball outpost for the first time in several years. It hasn't gone that way like totally in San Antonio, but when they have that starting lineup on the floor, they're defending at like a top three level. So the, the, the foundation is being put in there. The problem is what happens on the other end of the floor <laughs> where a guy who, again, is very clear about, I have never done this before, is learning on the job. And uh, there are some growing pains with that, but the pain is kind of the point. If you come out of this season with Wembanyama already showing us who he is and with Jeremy Sohan having gotten like rep after rep after rep as a pick and roll ball handler uh, and getting closer to being a good setup man right away, maybe he's not the full-time point guard down the road, but maybe he becomes more of that guy who can initiate offense, maybe like Boris DL point forward type guy. And then you fill in the blanks around there. You you make him into a really solid cornerstone piece. And I think that's what the goal is. You know, you have one cornerstone piece in Bambanyama. You think you have another one in Vassell. Can you make Sohan that third and that to kind of connect everybody together? And that's the sort of the early going in the experiment. And that makes sense developmentally, right? What you're doing now should be about what it turns guys into two, three years from now, not about winning games all the time right now. And whatever Jeremy Sohan 
ends up being, I don't think they're going to, you know, if at the end of the year or midway through next year, it's still square peg round hole. They probably don't need to force it. They can shift him back to a more traditional role. Um, I do wonder given so many teams are trying to develop this, right? This playmaking through the wing, the, these larger forwards who can handle and pass. But then we see things like, well, anytime the Spurs put Trey Jones on the floor, everything makes way, way more sense. And the right. team's better. And Wemby's getting the ball in easier situations. Like, again, obviously the Spurs should be developmental focused only, but does the every wing needs to be able to pass it and handle and things like that? Like, are we at risk of undervaluing the impact point guards have in situations, not just in a developmental situation to help guys get into their spots and things like that. But, you know, once this is ready to roll, you probably want a, a point guard around Wemby. Absolutely. And I, I love that we're talking to me about this and not Dennis Schroeder, right? Are we, <laughs> are, are we undervaluing what a small point guard can give you? Uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the the goal is to sort of explore the unknown and see if you can realize some greater gains there. But it's inarguable that having a guy who knows how to do this job already helps. <laughs> and and maybe if it, so that's the question of like, are you providing the best developmental framework for everyone versus are you providing the best one for Victor? Right. And so if, if the if job number one, the main goal is get him the best possible service that he can uh, that you can find for him and sort of get, you know, force feed him, make sure that somebody's constantly throwing him lobs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Then maybe getting Trey Jones on the floor who, to actually look for him and get you into your sets is the most beneficial thing. If you're saying like the goal should this be expand everybody's, uh, you know, skill set, then you, you don't understand the, the, the pushing of Sohan or like Malachi Branham playing backup point guard minutes or, you know, more time on the ball for Vassell, et cetera. Um, I think, they're early enough in their process of saying we just need to sort of let everybody find their level, but you're absolutely right. When they, it's, it's perhaps worth noting that when they get into the fourth quarter and they get into crunch time, Trey Jones is on the floor more often than Jeremy Sohan. And so I think that's the idea. Like when we're ready to win, we know we're going to need a guy whose, whose primary responsibility is find the ball, you know, get the ball where it needs to go, namely to the giant French guy over there. Um, and, you know, we'll figure out all the expanding, you know, playing around with the studio space later. Uh, and I think that's, that's where it's going to wind up. But for now, you know, call her outside the lines. Yeah. Um, I love the stat you brought in here. Uh, the current starting group for the Spurs is in the zeroth percentile, scoring at 90.4 points per 100 possessions. Like, I didn't know that was a number. I didn't know yeah. zero th was a thing you could do. Right. It, it means like, you are better than no other qualified lineups. It sounds like a <laughs> FM radio station, the way the, the way their <laughs> offense is looking. But no, seriously, like, it makes sense. It does make sense. But, um, you know, I, I do think to a certain degree we are kind of undervaluing small point guards in the league because, like, we're just seeing that archetype just, like, die off. You know, like, it's, I don't know. Like, it used to be every single team had one or two of these kind of guys. Um, you know, obviously between 5'11 and 6'2", and, and they're just there who – you know, they, they're good ball handlers. They're pretty good shooters. Um, the guys that you want to get the ball to them in free throw scenarios at the end of games that so they get fouled and they make the good decisions. And they're not necessarily looking to score all that much. That archetype of point guard has just completely died. Like, we actually have much more, like, Scotty Barnes at point, Jeremy Sohan at point than we do those type of pieces nowadays, which, um, I don't know. I, I guess, when did this shift start? Because you could say, like, like obviously, like, Showtime, Magic, like, they did right. that kind of stuff. You know, I yeah. wasn't there for that, but I watched the, the, the HBO stuff. I mean, these things are probably cyclical. Like okay. Kyle Lowry right. and Chris Paul are very shortly removed from being all NBA players, right? Like yeah, we're not, yeah, yeah. it's not that far no, I think behind the us. It always works and it's always has worked, but it's like, 
the the guys coming to the league now, like, you know, I guess Scoot was supposed to be that type right now, and he hasn't hit just yet. But. Yeah, I mean, I'd imagine from the front office level, too, if you believe that that is an easier thing to find and develop, then why wouldn't you spend the resources to try to develop a, a big wing who can do it? And then, hey, if this doesn't work out, you know, the Wizards have two of the guys we'll lose talking about. We'll just go call them because someone's got to have them. They're around. It's not perfect, but, like, I would understand developmentally why teams aim more upside and see if they can turn guys into it. But I agree that, like, it comes at the risk of, you know, who who are who is the next wave of Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul, Mike Conley as, like, three six-foot-tall point guards, you know, borderline all-NBA or all-star every year. I'm just going to miss them. Well, I mean, one of those types um... – in terms of the big kind of wings, is, is Devin Vassell, who came in as a guard, but wasn't nearly the level of shooter that he is now. Um, he is, he, I would say he's not really their point guard. He's more like a combo guard or shooting guard, like kind of like more. Yeah, three, four assist guy. Yeah, but um, you mentioned earlier that Vassell is kind of one of those cornerstone pieces. Like, are we kind of sold on the, the Vassell fit with Wemby? Like, how, what's their like synergy and, and, and fit together? Well, I think the Spurs are because they just paid him like $146 million sure. to be the next dude there. But yeah, I mean, I, w- I wrote about Vassell early last season as like a, well, the the conceit of that piece was the be- the biggest reason to watch the worst teams in the league, like the most interesting thing about the worst teams in the league. Now there's a very different big reason to watch them. But with Vassell, I was like, if you kind of squint at it, you can see a, you know, not quite Paul George there, but you can see that type of player wing with handle three and D type of guy, but with more shake to his game, somebody who can create off the bounce can get to his pull-up jumper. And if that is going and he expands his three point accuracy and his range, it opens up the in-between game for him. And then maybe that he becomes that like, you know, consistent 20 point a game score. And we've seen that continued kind of growth for him. It's been a really strong start to the season around some injuries, but uh, I think we're around like 42, 43% from three. You'd actually like to see the volume go up if for only re- no other reason than that starting lineup desperately needs more shooting. But that's what you, I think the interesting part about where San Antonio is now is there. Th- everything is about trying to figure out who surrounds Wembanyama when the game starts to matter again. And they, I think they s- indicated with their contract decision that they believe Vassell can be that kind of guy, can be you know the number one or number one A option, the the number one perimeter scoring ball handling option uh, on a team of consequence. That is a you know dramatic uptick in responsibility for him. It's something that we haven't seen him do while remaining uh, a top flight perimeter defender. Like that's the difference. What separates the guys like PG or Jimmy Butler? Those guys are able to shoulder a large shot creation load and still do it on the defensive end. And that's you know when we were talking about the you know where the small point guards go and what you know why we're handing these jobs over more frequently to bigger wings or trying to sort of retrofit big guys as as point guards it's because you're trying to find special like wherever special can be you need to try to foster it and like it's why everyone takes is willing to take big swings at the top of the draft because if you get up there you got to find your quarterback right you've got to find your generational talent and it might not look as clean as you would hope the fits to be but if you believe in the skill set you believe in your player development apparatus then you have the opportunity to you know, put on some aftermarket parts for those players and get them where you want them to be. Vassell came out of Florida State as like three and D guy, you know, tailor-made in that sort of complimentary role. Maybe, maybe he'd be Mikhail Bridges. Well, come to find out, Mikhail Bridges maybe is an all-star scorer on his own too. So the putting a limit on these guys when they come into the league at 19, 20 years old and expecting them to play this sort of circumscribed role, it's, you know, th- th- I think teams are looking at it and saying rather than ask you what 
can you do and try to figure out or what can't you do and try to work around that? What can you do if we give you the runway? And especially if you're a team in a position like San Antonio, where you've got the longer, you know, the longest view in the room now with all those draft picks with Wembenyama in place, a guy like Vassell will get more opportunity to grow his game. And I think the, the, the upside for him could be that kind of star scoring wing. And if you get that next to what Wembenyama can hope to, to provide for you, you know, you're cooking with gas. So uh, Wemby is dealing with that situation in San Antonio where they are trying to figure out who long-term is going to make the most sense around him. Tonight, that team is going to play against the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have Chet Holmgren, who was the number two pick a year ago, red-shirted injury, obviously for that reason, for age reasons, you know, not maybe not a true rookie, but it's going to be him and Wemby, 1A, 1B in this rookie of the year race. And the Thunder are in a much different spot than what you just described with Wemby, where they still have probably the second longest view in the room because they have more picks than God and all of their key pieces. Like they, they returned only one rotation player who's over 24 this year. They can still have that. But with them, it's more about seeing where Chet fits in with what's already established there and the foundation they've established there. What have you made of Chet's fit early on here? And what are you looking forward to when those two very lanky, talented seven-footers go head-to-head? Yeah, I'm jealous of my coworker Vincent Goodwill. He's down down to watch that game. The I think he called it the skinny bowl. He's <laughs> down there for that one tonight. Um, the thing that's blown my mind with Chet is how ready he is to be an offensive contributor. I think everybody expected... You know, when they had the, the, the Thunder, the way they were constructed last season, it was like a team that was just like build. It was built with a round hole in the middle that you were expecting that guy to fill. He just wasn't ready yet. It's like, we're going to play Jeremiah Robinson Earl at the five. We're going to play uh, Jalen Williams, the other Jalen Williams at the five. We're going to play small ball with Kenrich Williams at the five. Just all these guys who are sort of theoretical stretch fives, but not really. And the hope is that Chet will be able to come in and be that guy. But I think we all expected him to make more of an, uh, an impact as a shot blocker, you know, helping with their defensive rebounding, helping with their rim protection, which was an area that was a weakness for Oklahoma City. And he has come in and he's averaging like 16 points a game on 55% shooting. I don't think he's going to keep shooting 50% from three, but if he if he does, the Thunder will happily take it. Um, you know, another guy that can grab the ball off the rim and run the break, who's can step into trail threes off the break. That kind of additional offensive force just opens things up so much more for your drivers. You know, obviously Shea Gilgis Alexander, you guys have seen plenty of it. He's the premier driver in the NBA right now. Suddenly you've got even more driving lanes for him. And if the uh, the defense sags in to take those away, you pick, you pop it right back out to Chet, who's shown he can step into a three. Um, you sh- and also if you close out on Chet, he's willing to put the ball on the ground and able to get downhill. So like that, you know, it, it magnifies the skills of SGA of Jalen Williams, of Josh Giddy, It puts these guys in so much better position to succeed, and it really elevates where that Thunder offense can go. Um, the That he's already making event-creating plays with the shot blocks, with the steals, keeping them in bounds and kickstarting them in transition. It all sort of like, it's a virtuous cycle. The more plays you make on defense, the more you can get out in transition, the more, more efficient your offense will be. And he's it just cre- adds a dimension there that is they were lacking last year. You saw exactly why they wanted to go get this guy. He just checks so many boxes for them. And I think, you know, you mentioned him, he's going to forever be in conversation with Wembenyama because of when they came into the league of the style of player. They are, you know, their past history with like the under 19s or whatever in FIBA play, all that kind of stuff. And we shouldn't lose sight of 
how successful they've both been in dramatically different sets of circumstances. It's one thing to come in and be a like the centerpiece of your team, like uh, like Wembenyama has, where it's okay for you to rack up a thirty percent usage rate and touch, shoot every time you touch the ball for the most part, and like everything is kind of built around you to funnel all the the, the points and the opportunities to you. This is a Thunder team that people expected to be a playoff team. They made the, the play in last year, expected to take a leap that already has an all NBA first team, you know, offensive engine in place, plus multiple other guys who have shown they can be 17, 18 points a game uh, scores in the NBA. And you have to come in of your Chet Holmgren and fit in seamlessly alongside them while also being an anchor on the defensive end. That is a really hard job to do for anybody, let alone for somebody who's coming off a year-long foot injury and playing his first minutes in the NBA. So for him to do that and to fit so seamlessly into what they're doing has been pretty remarkable. And so, like, this is one of those don't let comparison be the thief of joy type situations. Two very special players in very different situations, and we're going to get to see them go at it hopefully for many years to come. Yeah, I would love for this to um, to turn into the NBA's version of Messi versus Ronaldo. I guess we had that back in the day with mm. you know uh, you know Bird and Magic and all that kind of stuff. But like just this generation of two like noodly aliens who are like ungodly at every basketball skill. No, I th- what's really cool about the OKC situation with Chet is like he is the exact type of player you would have wanted to draft for the skill set of the players that were existing with that core mm. already. Like they needed a stretch five unicorn type who could do all the things that you you've, you've indicated and like it, it's so impressive that he walks into this league and i know it's only been 10 games and i know he's not gonna shoot 50 percent from three but like the way they play him too is just like like teams will have to get out on him you know and you can't necessarily put smaller guys on him because he actually can put it on the floor and use his length and um i don't know where you're gonna hide your centers if you're if not on him maybe lou dort i suppose occasionally but it's a real uh matchup nightmare he really does enhance all things, yeah, he walks into this league shooting 55, 50, and 90 from the free throw line. Yeah, 50, like, he might go 50, 40, 90 as a rookie who's also yeah. unbelievable on defense. It's uh, yeah. it's pretty crazy. Well, listen, uh, speaking of, uh, I guess, aliens from a previous generation now, uh, Giannis, I guess we're just used <laughs> to Giannis. We, we've, we've watched him for 10 years, and we kind of got used to sort of him in our lives. Um, you also wrote about this last week, um, which I believe the Bucks were in Brooklyn. Um, yes. So you were able to get down there and see them. But... Um, yeah, early returns on this Giannis-Damian Lillard partnership. I would say they have not hit the ground running by any means. Yeah, I will say uh, shouts out to the benefits of okay, of accidental scheduling. So that was also the night that the Clippers were at the Garden for Harden's first game with the Clippers. Mm. So all the media went there. And then hardly anybody was in Brooklyn. So I actually got to like talk to uh, Giannis and Dame for a minute and get some questions in. So shouts out to that. Um, And a shorter train ride for me. Excellent. Um, Yeah. The early returns of that have been it's fits and starts. It's, you know, part of you has to wonder how the offense would have, you know, adjusted and acclimated if Terry Stotts was still there. Um, There was that weird sort of preseason issue of he comes in as the assistant coach and is going to be like, he was obviously Dame's guy in Portland for so many years. Uh, the guy who coordinated so many of those top flight offenses, he comes in, but then leaves sort of quickly right before the start of the season. And all of a sudden you're not seeing nearly as much Dame Giannis pick and roll as you expected. Uh, it's been a little bit uncomfortable getting everybody on the same page. The defensive issues for them have been, uh, you know, it's like uh, Adrian Griffin needs to find, he's trying to find what works for that team. That was something I asked Giannis, like they, in that game against the Nets and we've seen it, in subsequent games as well, 
They're playing drop coverage with Brooke Lopez. They're trying to play more uh, sort of higher, higher pressure, similar to the Raptors defenses of years past, where it's all of a sudden Brooke Lopez is trapping 30 feet away from the basket, which is not something he's frequently asked to do. And for good reason, they're switching, they're playing smaller, they're playing Bobby Portis and switching everything. They're playing Giannis in a traditional drop. They're playing zone, which they never used to do under Mike Budenholzer. And I asked Giannis, like, does it feel like you're trying to find an identity? And he really pushed back on that. I was like, no, 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 we, we know what our identity is. We're just trying to find what works. And I think the, you're seeing the continued struggle of that. Like it's everyone, it makes it made sense why so many people were calling for Mike Budenholzer to to lose his job, for them to move on and hire a new head coach, a new voice in the room after multiple uh, sort of disappointing postseason exits earlier than expected, et cetera, et cetera. But when you play one way for so long, yes, the, the, there's the attraction of we need to be more versatile and more multiple and have more arrows in the quiver. But you also got to build those reps. And Dame, you know, Dame got there right before the start of training camp. Um, the you know they they basically changed over all of their perimeter or nearly all of their perimeter defenders and haven't really had time to not only replace Drew Holiday but figure out like who can actually get a stop up, uh, outside. We a lot of us expected that the defense would just wouldn't skip a beat because you did have Brook Lopez back there and you do have Giannis there. But they're learning a whole bunch of new guys too and trying to do new things under a coaching staff that no, that feels like they've got to have a full menu uh, of options by the time the you know you get to the postseason or get down to the stretch. So that's going to take some time to work it all out. Oh, by the way, Chris Middleton's still coming off of his minutes restriction, only bit by bit by bit being able to play more. And so there, you know, Giannis has years of comfort with closing games with him, not so much with Dame. And you're having more possessions where Dame is like off the ball, watching and waiting, and he has not caught a rhythm with that either. He he's, he was very clear about like I understand what I need to do in the context of this offense. I just haven't really figured out how to find my way in it to where I'm a scorer in it, and that's what I do, and that's what the Bucks need. You know, they don't need him to be a caretaker point guard. They need him to be Damian Lillard. That's the whole point of, you know, going all in on that deal to have the top, you know, five level scorer who can be the pick and roll savant that takes the ball out of Giannis's hands uh, late in games that weaponizes him as a screener that can punish you for dropping or for, you know, missing an assignment, but pulling up and raining fire. And we just haven't seen enough of that yet. The glass half full case, if you're a Bucks fan or somebody who has uh, a vested interest in the Bucks, is this is you hope this is the worst they're gonna be like they're gonna get the you know the more reps together they're gonna get the kinks ironed out and they'll find more comfort uh in in what they're gonna try to do late in games and especially on the defensive end but uh the glass half empty take right now is it's looked a lot more rickety than you expected and you just saw jay crowder go down with an injury they're still sort of trying to mix and match parts and figure out how who's who should be playing with who how to get stopped and how to get good looks and it seems like I think we expected that to be a lot further along than it is. Yeah, I think there could be a case that um, they might need better coaching as well. But listen, I'm going to give Adrian Griffin more than 10 games into the season. But uh, Dan Absolutely. Devine of Yahoo Sports, appreciate you. Go check out the Divine Intervention podcast and the No Cap Room podcast. This man has two podcasts with puns in the names. So, uh, yeah, good <laughs> stuff, man. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Uh, next time, I'll try to get a like a, a better jersey. A Garbahosa? Like, what are we looking for? What should I bring next time? Yeah, honestly, uh, Alex is off to the side wearing a Freddie Gillespie jersey. So, I mean, we got to get on that level. All right. <laughs> all right, Alex, I got to get my game up. Thank you. All right. Uh, okay, we are going to take our last break. I've been your host, Willu. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. When we come back, we will do our weekly check-in with Raptors point guard Dennis Schroeder. 
most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there, Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Lynn Liu. I'm joined for the fourth quarter here by my co-host, Blake Murphy and uh, Alex Wong. We are working to get Dennis uh, on the line. He is probably somewhere in OVO right now, if I had to guess. You know, Josh Sue, go find him. All right, get him <laughs> get him the phone. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've already hinted at this earlier, but we might as well do this now. Um, so, Alex Wong is wearing a Raptors 55 practice jersey with the OVO insignia uh, over Insic- the chest. Do, do, do we talk, are we talking TFC right now? Uh, Did no. you just say insignia? Yeah, relax. Oh, all right. oh okay. Uh, well, you know, so can oh. you explain the story behind this? Because this is a rather auspicious piece that you have on. Yeah, you know, it's the uh, audacious and improbable <laughs> practice jersey Get out of here, man. that I picked up. Last weekend went to uh, uh, the Sport Card Expo. Shouts to everybody there at the International Center in Mississauga. And there was a lot of cool different vendors. So actually, this is bought directly from like a MLSE uh, stand. So what they do is they take a lot of these game-worn items uh, from the Leafs, uh, from the Argos, and from the Raptors, and, and they just put them on sale. So there's a bunch of game, there's a bunch of practice-worn jerseys. And I found a, a Rodney Hood, mm. uh, Freddie Gillespie, you know, the Pascal one, you know, the OG ones, those are more expensive. Right. So this was, um, this was a very affordable purchase, I guess, by Alex Pricing. Right. So um, this is like so, buying a Camry. Yeah, basically. Okay. Um, and our friend Trevor... Yep. Actually, they had these basketballs that were used in the bubble by the Raptors. Oh, really? Because of social distancing, because of COVID, everybody got their own practice ball that they used in practice. Wait, like so they, the Raptors had to bring their own balls? No, to the like game? they were given balls, but, but like everybody like kind of just shot on their own. They used their own oh, balls. Okay, so, okay, okay. This Shannon, is such a hilarious yeah. relic of the time when like yeah. we didn't really well, understand it yet, so okay. we were all just like throwing anything at it. Which this is, is like, like when I yeah, yeah okay no no sharing basketballs I guess yeah I used to spray my packages and quarantine them for fourteen days mm. and just leave them. So anyways, <laughs> this they, guy was getting two day <laughs> prime, but uh, <laughs> anyway, leave it for two weeks. All but right. yeah, so there's ball. They, they also sold basketballs from the bubble so trevor picked out one that was labeled number three for og ananobi it was og OG fan eh? yeah it was og's ball and then yeah. i guess i'm bearing the lead there was also a game worn jeff down jr jersey Ooh. for yeah, four saw that on your instagram yeah, yeah. for for 450 dollars okay so um actually not, I think that's what jeff got paid in toronto not oh god uh not a wild price to be honest um for a game worn is it so, not like I, it's I not, have no I have no context? Yeah, I mean, like I I'm not like deep into that game. Like, shout to my guy Kai, but it's like um thousand like the the regular jerseys like an OG, a Pascal, those go for like thousands. Mm. Um, and, and and some specific games like if it's an NBA Finals jersey, mm-hmm. like I I don't have the prices with me, but I know the Finals Kawhi jersey was sold oh. for like a lot. Yeah. Um, and also like in the bubble when there was those social justice messages on the back. Um, because there's just so much meaning to those jerseys, um, yeah. those sold um, for for a lot as well. So, yeah, here I am in a in a Freddie Gillespie. So, um, but what we want to see is not Freddie Gillespie. What we want to see is Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, so we are. I'm a, we are I'm, a kinda, text, I'm a Texas peoples. Right we are kind of buying time. Um, my By thing the way, with this, here's yeah? here I have. A, finish your thought. I have a, a slight Raptors update. Okay. Uh, whenever you're ready to go. Uh, so with the 55, the thing is like. Practice jerseys are like rare. They they don't make them to be sold. I don't think most times. Yeah. And so this is quite possibly the one that 
Freddie Gillespie himself had on when he did the party in the USA. Oh, for sure this karaoke. is. This is the one that he had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. an XL tall. Like, it's pretty long on me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I've had to, like, roll it up like a dumpling. Okay. <laughs> but is right. it reversible? Uh, it yes, is, it yeah. is. Yeah, it it's is. It's black on the inside. So I'll be yeah. wearing it tomorrow um, on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, shout yeah. to Freddie Gillespie and the party in USA. That was uh, the only good moment to come out of Tampa outside of, I guess, Fred hitting 54 or whatever. Sure. I, I, that was like a half good moment, I feel like. Yeah, it was Malachi's uh, first good moment until this season that yeah, he was uh, he was having fun and things that like that. Right, right. Um, small Raptors update coming out of practice today. Um, there weren't quotes to this effect, but I looked ahead at the injury report for tomorrow, and it's already out. OG and Gary Trent are both listed as doubtful mm, for tomorrow. Right, right. Gary, of course, dealing with plantar fasciitis, which I have had before and is awful. And yeah, I you, currently have. Yeah. You're going to be day-to-day until you're not. And then OG, obviously, uh, day-to-day with a finger laceration. We believe it's on his right index finger. So you picture shooting, dribbling as a right-handed person. Uh, that could be a difficult... Uh, a difficult thing to do. He was apparently doing left-hand work only at the uh, at the arena today. So do not expect to have those guys. Um, and then, yeah, the two ways TBD for tomorrow because they're at the 905 play tonight in Mississauga. Yeah. Um, man, what was what what household chore was OG doing where he cut his finger? I'd imagine something in the kitchen. Yeah. This guy was making linguine or something, and he just he was slicing a shrimp, or he was slicing a linguine. I don't know, man. There's, Linguistics. There's lots of stuff you could do. Maybe oh, Dennis oh, knows. Thank goodness. Thank goodness we, we don't have to talk about cooking. Oh, and see you guys anymore. later. We have Dennis Schroeder on the line. Dennis, man, how you doing? You all right? I'm good. I'm good. Just came uh, out of practice. I'm back home now. Yeah, the Darko. Uh, was it a long practice? Did he, did he have a lot to address from the first half yesterday? What happened? Uh, we got the W, so that's uh, the most important. Um, but we had a meeting, uh, MBPA meeting, so that's the okay. reason why it took a little bit longer. No, it's all good. Garrett Temple Day. It is the MBPA meeting. Yeah, very knowledgeable dude, Garrett Temple. Um, okay, I wanted to ask you guys. Okay, so the comeback yesterday was awesome, obviously, right? And you were on the floor for that comeback. You guys were down 23. You guys finished the game on a 22-1 to run. Um, defensively, it seemed like you guys were really locked in, really in the zone. What did it feel like to be in that game when you guys saw that you guys obviously were kind of lethargic in the first half, but second half, especially fourth quarter, you guys were so locked in defensively. So how did that feel like in the game? I mean, it felt great. Um, I think the, you know, the fans, uh, they were, got into it as well. Uh, when we started making that run, um, it was great. I mean, played with a lot of energy. Scotty Barnes picking up full court. You know, uh, Malachi Flynn, we played together for the first time this season. Uh, he did a great job, you know, bringing the energy and Chris Boucher as well. Um, everybody who came on the court, you know, um, helped us get in that W. But uh, first half was uh, ugly, but um, the second half was uh, pretty impressive. And if we put games together like that for 36 minutes to 48 minutes, we really tough to beat, so um, uh, was a great comeback, and we needed that win for sure. Dennis, on the uh, the go ahead basket where Pascal scores to finally put you guys ahead, it looked from our vantage point like maybe there was some communication. You were signaling a lot with your hands. Pascal and Scotty kind of had a, a conversation on the weak side. W- did you guys get off the play you intended to? What happened there on that final possession? Obviously, worked out well. Yeah, last possession. I mean, uh, Jordan Poole is a great, you know, um, offensive player, but on a defensive end, I think you can attack a little bit. And 
he was on me and I uh, gave the ball to uh, Pascal and just set a screen. Um, they were switching a lot. So he had, uh, you know, the matchup we wanted. And, um, you know, he took it to the basket, took like a little uh, midi um, to put us uh, up to. Um, I mean, there was there was the play what we, you know, we wanted and uh, we lived with it. Yeah. Um, Pascal obviously had a great game last night, 39 points. Um, you know, obviously we know what he can do in this league. He's the two-time All-Star. Um, you know, I, I guess he did start the season a little bit slowly with the scoring. Um, what kind of conversations did you have with him as the point guard? What kind of conversations were had around the team with Pascal to sort of get him back to that level of scoring where we see he can get 30-plus um, with some regularity? Um, I mean, it's just, you know, the system, um, what coach brings. I think the system of everybody is just touching it, you know, and uh, we move in and um, bringing the ball up fast. Um, I think it's... Um, making him or making the job for him uh, to score a little bit easier because uh, I can bring it up fast or Scotty and, um, you know, and we love the matchups, you know, we, I think that was the Dallas game mm -hmm. where he had a great matchup and uh, he was really aggressive within the system. And I think when he do that, um, we're really tough to beat. And, uh, of course, um, one-on-ones happens, and we need that as well. But I think um, how we've been playing the last couple of games, um, uh, it's heading into the right direction, and um, it's great for him as well. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask about your game, because, uh, you know, the last two, I think, you know, have been you know, a bit of a struggle. Obviously, the Celtics game was bad kind of just all around. And then yesterday, it was very unlike you going one for 12, when you go back and look at the film and even just how you felt on the court, like what do you think kind of led to some of those performances where you obviously started the season at a really high level, but the last two have sort of been below that? Uh, for me, it's, uh, it don't matter if I, you know, um, have a bad game. If you still win the game, that's what, what matters. Uh, I'm not a guy who follows stats or who, you know, um, in his, uh, what would I say, uh, in his uh, personal, you know, um, individual uh, work. Um, I'm a guy who, you know, wants the team to win. And, um, you know, um, it's not all about scoring as well. You know, defensively, how we picked it up um, and uh, what we brought to the table to win this game, um, I think was more important. So for me um, to have, uh, I think, four points at the end uh, don't really matter because we won the game. So... Um, against uh, the Celtics was bad because uh, the Celtics, uh, we didn't have the energy, was tired, and that's completely on us. Um, and, uh, yeah, we got to do a better job just being, you know, engaged uh, from the start of the game to the end of the game. Dennis, with respect to that Celtics game, uh, you guys obviously took a, a little bit of issue with Joe Mazzulla calling that challenge late. Um, is that just kind of a, an unwritten respect rule thing? What was that conversation like when, with you and Darko uh, near the Celtics uh, bench at the end of that game? I think it's just, I mean, it's uh, just disrespectful, you know. Um, you up 30 and... I mean, it's the same thing when you're up 30 and uh, it's 10 seconds on the clock, you're up 30, you're not shooting that last shot. It's just, you know, um, being a good sportsman and, um, you know, just make sure that uh, everything is just played by the, you know, by the rules, kind of. And uh, I, I didn't appreciate it. Uh, me and Joe had a great relationship, you know, even before when I got to, to Boston. 
he was the assistant back then and uh great relationship but that's that's um that's not him um and i think that's uh that was a mistake and he shouldn't uh, you know um call the time out to challenge it but at the end of the day everybody make mistakes um nobody's perfect um i don't know if he sees it as a mistake or not but i felt uh, disrespected and um i'm gonna say something about it when somebody disrespect me and um i mean that's how i've been my whole life you know so um but at the end of the day um we got a you know great chance to come back on uh wednesday tomorrow and on friday to see them again in a uh, in-season tournament and um i mean what you uh you can't ask for uh, a better you know a better chance to get back at them yeah no we're, we're looking forward to that as well uh, hey, you mentioned earlier that uh, yesterday for the fourth quarter was the first time you and Malachi Flynn were able to share the floor together. Um, and I think part of that was because Washington went small as well. But, um, you know, I feel like we ask you every week, but it seems like Darko is really giving a lot of confidence to Malachi. And, and I guess we want your thoughts on sort of how he's grown in his game. We saw yesterday him locking up guys like Denny Abdia. We're trying to go one-on-one against him, try to ISO against him. You guys brought the help, but also he did a really great job defending what kind of growth are you seeing from Malachi week in, week out? Oh, he's, he's, he's doing a great job. I think um, just getting, you know, really confident in this, uh, in this role. Um, like I said last week, uh, I, I didn't think he had, you know, a lot of with him uh, the last couple of years. Um, he didn't know if he played or if he's not playing. And um, I mean, that you lose on confidence a little bit. But right now, you know, he's, he's playing every single game and he's ready, you know, to take that challenge. Uh, it took a little bit, but now he's really in that role where he picks up full court, brings the energy, you know, controls the offense. And on the defensive end last uh, last night was um, outstanding, you know, uh, putting pressure um, on the second guard, you know, who tried to bring it up. And um, I mean, right now he's um, doing a great, great job in his, uh, in his backup role for sure. Today at practice, Coach Darko said that you have been instrumental for Malachi Flynn. Um, what have you been able to do for him? I know earlier in your career, you went through some of the same things with, you know, bench roll and the minutes maybe being sporadic. Is it just that experience? How have you been able to help Malachi? I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy who tried to, you know, um, help his people, help his teammates, um, and love to see... Uh, people like AR last year, for example, Austin Reeves, you know, to make strides like that, to get a big contract. And um, I love to, you know, see my teammates happy when they, you know, um, get, you know, paid or get minutes on the court. And uh, Malika, you know, he's um, really listening to um, what I'm telling him every single day. And um, it's a two-way street. Of course, he can come to me when he sees something, oh, Dennis, you, you know, got to do a better job of this. But... Um, I mean, he's really, uh, really embracing it and um, learning every single day, asking me questions. And uh, for me, I had Jeff Teague um, beginning of my career. Um, he did the same thing for me. And I think that's what it's all about, you know, being a great vet, being a great human being, helping everybody in that locker room just to be, you know, um, at their best. And I think, uh, I mean, I've been I've been doing it. Um, but I mean, for Malachi, I think it's just, uh, be in his ear and make sure, you know, he got that confidence and, um, that he couldn't go out there and, uh, change the game for us. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm happy Jeff T did that for you too. But by the way, Jeff T's yeah. got a great podcast these days. I don't know if you've heard some of the I Jeff T podcast, but, uh, 
I I seen uh, a lot of you know Instagram uh, wheels uh, about yeah. it. You know, it's funny because Jeff Teague every one every time he talks about a story, he's always like, "Man, I was so trash," but the other guy lit me up for forty. <laughs> I'm like, "Yo, Jeff, Jeff, you were a really good player." Like, you know, so yeah, he was nice. He was nice. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. was really nice. Yeah. Well, well, since we're on this topic of um, you know development and things like that, I, I've been wanting to ask you for a couple weeks. Uh, just about your specific journey, right? Because you come out, um, I looked up your hometown. I think it was like 250K people. It's like three hours from um, Munich or Berlin, one of those two cities, I think in the north. Uh, and it's just not, you know, what you would expect for players to come out of there from NBA players. And then I read a story uh, that was on Yahoo Sports uh, by Oren Weisfeld, and he he wrote about how you were discovered playing street ball at the age of nine. So can you tell us that story about... A, I guess, like, your introduction to basketball and, and how you actually got, you know, introduced to the development system in basketball. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a big skater, um, and we had uh, Prinzenpark, it's called, uh, back in my hometown. It was like a skating, you know, skate park. And on the left, like, on the side a little bit was, like, two hoops, like, just a normal court, basketball court. And every single time when I didn't, you know, didn't want to skate. I went to the basketball court and shot some, you know, some uh, um, shoot some hoops. Um, play two on two, three on three, you know, just to mess around uh, with my with my friends. And um, one day, I mean, my mentor and he's like my like my second dad. I call him um, Livio Kalin. He's, um, uh, I mean, he been through that whole, you know, uh, from year i think 12 to now you know we've been working out um together and um he was like a mentor to me and he found me in the park and he was like yo listen you got some skill and um i'm pretty sure that you you know you can become something in basketball um and for me it was like i'm i'm a skater you know i skate i play soccer uh did ping pong um and uh yeah, uh, the second time I seen him uh, was nearby my house. Uh, it was raining, so every single time when it was raining, we was under a parking lot. So, you know, we can't just skate and everything is... Um, so it's not wet and uh, we can just, you know, play horse there with uh, with our friends. And then he came there and he was like, yo, listen, uh, I told you like three weeks ago that you should come to practice and um, um, and, you know, just try it out. And he was like, yo, listen, I'm going to take you now. Mm -hmm. He gave me all the, you know, like all the stuff uh, to work out in, gave me new shoes. And I was like, oh, this is uh, pretty nice. And um, then I did my first uh, workout, first practice with them. And then uh, I stuck with them, you know, and I uh, believed in them, trusted him, and uh, it paid off. Wow, that is a, that's a really great story. And I I'm happy to hear that you guys are so, so close. Um I know I was also reading in that piece that Oren wrote where there was one drill that he put you through where you might have been in tears because of how difficult it was. Um, I don't know if you remember yeah. this drill or not or if you were actually in tears, but, you know, what kind of, like, training, I guess, did he kind of put you through? I mean, I, I just love coaches who keeps uh, people accountable. It don't matter. Okay. Like Darko, for example, um, the same way, right? Kind of, yeah. But he was a little more old school. Um, okay. You know, the old school coaches uh, in, in Europe, is, uh, it's a little different. Darko knows about that, but in the league, it's kind of okay. kind of tough uh, <laughs> to to bring it to the players. Um, so, hold on one second. I'm on the phone, yeah? It's my little one. Hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> Does he want to say uh, hi? 
Hi. Say hi, Jill. Hi. Hello. Hey. I'll be right back, okay? Can you close it? Can you help me fix it? Yeah, ask mommy, please. Mommy, don't know either. All right, I'll be back. Um, and I think uh, he's just um, a coach who keeps people accountable, makes sure that, you know, um, the best players doing the dirty work as well. And, um, I mean, the practices, I remember, was two times a day uh, with tape. Um, he didn't really, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it was hard practices. And that one you mentioned, uh, I remember, like it was yesterday, it was um, uh, one-on-one drill. And uh, was four or five people spread out on the three-point line. And he just passed it. You know, I don't see where the uh, ball goes to. And he just passed it and I got to close out. Mm. And I think I was in that in that drill probably like 25 minutes. Damn. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get a stop, you know, because <laughs> I didn't know where the ball goes. And then they had one step in front of me or one step ahead of me. And I couldn't react. And... Um, then one of my good friends, he stepped in. He was like, yo, I got you. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, take a break. And the coach said, no, he got to do it until he wow. gets them stops. And uh, I was really young at the time. And I was, you know, in tears after. And um, then he came to me. He was like, listen, like, you're going to be successful because you never quit it. You know, like, you just mm -hmm. stayed with it and um, got it done until you uh, until you got it. And um I mean, we're still laughing about these stories because, I mean, now, you know, it's uh, I can't laugh about it, but uh, it got me um, to where I am right now. Yeah, you made it. Well, I mean, I guess my last question on this, because we could have more conversations. I want to ask you more, but I don't want to take up all your time. Um, are you guys still in contact? Like, you guys still, you know, keep track and, and keep, keep in touch and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we still, I mean, not every single day, but he is, um, you know, uh, we be on calls, texting. Um, he's involved in my team I own in uh, Braunschweig. Oh, nice. um, he's like the assistant coach, uh, the third assistant, because he want to step down. Um, but, I mean, I bought the club uh, for him as well because wow. uh, they wanted to buy him uh, back in the day. And, <laughs> um, yeah, well, it got a little complicated, but um, I bought the, the club for him. And um, he means a lot, you know, to me and my family. That's a baller move, man. Dennis, you take care of your people. Uh, and I appreciate you, all right? We'll, we'll, we'll chat with you next week. Yes, thank you. Appreciate it. Dennis Schroeder, what an interesting life, man. Imagine you bought your mentor's team for him. So that he didn't get canned. Yeah. Sacked, sorry, would be the European term, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the gaffer. Do you think he calls him gaffer? Is there a German word for gaffer? I have gaffer. no idea. You got to turn your mic on. All right. Oh, man. Wow. All good. Yeah. Uh, oh, it it just coach translates to trainer in. Uh, not lovely language, German. Yeah. Very efficient language. Uh, gaffer turns to something that I'm not going to try to pronounce. Uh huh. All <laughs> right. Well, listen. Um, I don't know what Alex is trying to say. Uh, but uh, his microphone is just not going to be on for the last minute here. So, it's it's too bad. But testing. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm on now. What'd you want to say so badly? I forgot now. I was gonna <laughs> say on. I was gonna say there's a gaffer, there's a word for gaffer in every language. Why wouldn't there oh, be? Oh brother, what a break. <laughs> they checked him in in the fourth quarter and it was a break. Yeah, get me out of this game. Um This yeah. is uh Brandon Podzimski getting five field goal attempts <laughs> in the last seventy six seconds again, of the game. That's not a real person. Uh Yo, by Shelson. the way, next week can yeah. you guys ask Dennis if he's ever hooped to these three songs? 
that Game Ops plays oh, yeah. um, at the arena. Eminem, the real Slim Shady. Usher, you remind me, and Mace feels so good. I want to ask him if he's ever hooped to the Tony Hawk Pro Skater soundtrack. <laughs> Yo, that's a great soundtrack, man. Um, and it's a great video game as well. But anyway, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Testing. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. Thanks once again to Danny Chow, Dan Devine, Dennis Schroeder. So we had three Dans, essentially, on the show. Dan, Dan, and Den. Uh, producer and co-host Alex Wong, Blake Murphy, our board producer Derek Brandale, Jennifer Olnick, David says, Jared Manitab, help me behind the scenes. We'll be back with more Raptors content tomorrow.